Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hey, it's Ty Smith of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Adam Bocas. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltigeurs. Hey, it's Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hi, I'm Dominic Fox. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Hills Oilers. It's Joe O'Brien. Hi, it's Barrett Hayden of the Sioux Greyhounds. Brady Kachuk from the Boston University Terriers. Major Junior. In the 100th year of the Memorial Cup, the Ankeny Panthers T-Tall have won it for the first time. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. The Buffalo Sabres are proud to select Trollunda defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. And more. Oh, yes! Oh, my goodness. We're not going home yet, baby! This is the Pipeline Show. Here we go. Well, good weekend and welcome to the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Thanks again for uh, downloading this week's episode. If you're a returning listener to the Pipeline Show, then thanks for the continued support. If you're new to the program, this time of year, get a lot of new listeners as the NHL draft right around the corner and uh, a lot of uh, NHL fans who aren't necessarily uh, prospect fans uh, start tuning in a little bit more and, and wanting some information on the prospects. So the Pipeline Show always uh, sees a bit of an increase at this time of year uh, in the listenership. So if you're in that category, then welcome to the Pipeline Show. And I would hope that you'd uh, maybe stick around a little bit longer than uh, you have in the past. As always, we start with the question of the day. I threw the uh, question up on Twitter uh, a little while ago, uh, the question uh, today is uh, how many WHLers will you see taken in the first round of the 2019 NHL draft? I made it a poll. The poll questions, the options you have are five or less, six, seven, or eight or more. And uh, right now, as I uh, refresh the page, the uh, leading vote getter is a five or less. That's at 45%. 32% say six. 14% of people think there could be as many as eight or more uh, WHLers taken in the first round. Uh, I'd be surprised, uh, definitely, if there was that many uh, out of the dub taken. Uh, I could see it being five or six, though. Uh, I would think, uh, well, Bowen Byram, to me, is uh, the best player out of the dub this year. And then you've got uh, Kirby Doc and Dylan Cousins and Peyton Krebs. I think those guys are all expected to go in the top ten. Uh, and some bubble guys, Matthew Robertson of the Oil Kings, Brett Leeson uh, from the Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, Lassie Thompson from the uh, Kelowna Rockets. All guys worthy of consideration. So there's seven potential uh, right there. And who knows, maybe there's a surprise in there as well. Uh, comments on Twitter uh, to the question. Uh, Jordan says seven. He's got Byram, Doc, Cousins, Krebs, Leeson, Robertson, and Thompson. So there's seven right there. Lucas Pencari from the Daily Herald in uh, Prince Albert. He's got uh, five. Byram, Doc, Cousins, and Krebs. And then he says one of either Brett Leeson or Matthew Robertson as the fifth guy. So you can leave a comment as well. At TPS underscore Gee is where you can find me on Twitter if you're not following me already. Today's uh, episode will be uh, shorter than the last uh, number have been uh, because this time of year, th- listen, there's only one prospect thing going on right now. That's the end of the Memorial Cup. We'll have a guest on uh, to talk about that. I'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, but a lot of the guests, uh, quite honestly, not available right now. The NHL Combine is next week, so it was a little challenge to find somebody. Uh, I was looking for two or three different guys, 
Uh, I was able to get one for the 2019 draft spotlight, so I'll tell you who that is here momentarily. But a lot of guys now on vacation. Some guys, uh, players, some players are, you know, just enjoying a bit of time off. Guys maybe who were at the U18, and then they got the combine coming up. Uh, so they put their feet up for a couple of weeks, and you don't want to necessarily bug a guy in that uh, period. So right now, this is a bit of an area where it's a, a little tough uh, to get guys. So uh, we have three guests coming up on the show for you today. I'll tell you who that is in coming down the pipe in a second. But uh, the news and notes portion, and this will be quick too, because really only one thing happening, and that is the Memorial Cup in the Canadian Hockey League. As I speak with you right now, it's Friday morning tonight. The Ruin Miranda Huskies will be taking on the Guelph Storm. That's the champs from the OHL and the Q. Uh, they will uh, decide who will meet Halifax in the final of the Memorial Cup this year. That game gets going uh, tonight, 8 o'clock time if you're out in the Halifax area or on the East Coast, 7 o'clock Eastern time, and uh, out here it's 5 o'clock, 4 if you're on the West Coast. Here's what's coming down the pipe today. I mentioned that uh, we'll have a guest to talk about the Memorial Cup, Terry Doyle, longtime broadcaster in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, he's my guest. He's in Halifax, so uh, I chatted with him yesterday. Pick his brain about what he's seen so far at the Memorial Cup. The uh, disappointment for the Prince Albert Raiders, the WHL champion going winless, and that's, what, 13 straight losses now for the WHL champion at the Memorial Cup over the last few years. Uh, Terry weighs in on that and then uh, looks at the game tonight as well as the Halifax Mooseheads on Sunday. Some of the players who have performed as expected, some who were still waiting to uh, get bigger contributions from at the Memorial Cup. So Terry does a good job updating everybody on what's happening in Halifax. The Canadian National Junior A Championship uh, was decided last weekend. The Brooks Bandits uh, beat the Prince George Spruce Kings out of the uh, BCHL. So the Brooks Bandits are uh, Junior A champs. In the CJHL, Andrew Peard, who is calling games for the Edmonton Oil Kings this year. He was down in uh, Brooks as part of the broadcast team uh, covering that event. So I uh, recruited him to give us a, a recap of the Junior A National Championship. And we'll close it out today with the 2019 draft spotlight. Uh, as I mentioned, I had I tried to get two or three different guys, uh, but I did get one player, and he's a pretty significant one for the 2019 NHL draft possible uh, probable top 10 guy possible top five guy dylan cousins uh power forward of the lethbridge hurricanes you're going to hear from him today on the pipeline show so lots to get to we'll uh, kick it off though heading out to halifax terry doyle voice of the sarnia sting and staple of the uh, ontario hockey league media corps he's up first here on the pipeline show suzuki now Cutting into the middle, there's a shot, scores! And Suzuki makes it 8-1, and he has his second and his fifth point tonight. Hey, it's Nick Suzuki from the Owensdown Attack, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, 
and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Ooh, that's a bingo. Back on The Pipeline Show, we start this uh, week's episode uh, heading out to Halifax. We're going to look at the Memorial Cup, update everybody on what's happening out there. My CHL insider today, uh, one of our best uh, that we get on a regular basis here on The Pipeline Show, Terry Doyle, voice of the Sarnia Sting and a uh, long-time uh, broadcaster covering the Ontario Hockey League. You're out in uh, Halifax, uh, Terry. Thanks for taking the time out uh, off the patio uh, to, to join me today. Um, let's start with uh, what's happened so far. Anything really shocking in your mind? What's the biggest story uh, right now uh, at the Memorial Cup? Oh, well, I think it was a combination, uh, you know, on the ice, uh, the you know, the disappointment of the Prince Albert Raiders that uh, just couldn't get their wheels going after uh, losing the first game against uh, the Halifax Mooseheads and then uh, continued on from there. looked like they were going to... Uh, take a run at Ruin Naranda in their uh, second game, but uh, Huskies able to beat them. And then uh, after that, the Gulf Storm able to uh, sort of finish it off and finish off the Raiders. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of the talk, of course, going into the final game of the round robin was uh, the math that we had to deal with, with all the uh, tie-breaking scenarios with uh-huh. three teams uh, finishing at 2-1 and one, as it turned out. And, uh, yeah, everybody's talking about the weather here, too. It's not been good, except uh, now we get into Thursday and it's uh, been a lot nicer. But uh, other than that, it's been a little chilly. Let's say I didn't pack... Uh, enough warm clothes for the week all right uh, let's start with what you started with with the prince albert raiders and uh out here out west i think everybody is kind of navel gazing and wondering what's happening the whl champ has really struggled here the last uh well 13 game winning or losing streak rather what and and searching for answers it's kind of like back when the hockey canada had the summit after struggling at the world juniors and everything uh, stopped and uh, a lot of inner reflection what's going wrong in your opinion why has the WHL champ struggled at the Memorial Cup the last four years? Well, first of all, you're trying to say this could be a pipeline summit, you know, a Western Canada <laughs> uh, pipeline summit. This could be an opportunity here for you. Nice. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think it's, you know, we wondered at first, I know, talking to people, uh, you know, even going back a couple of years to the Windsor Cup and uh, wondered, you know, do the Western Hockey League teams load up as much as the Ontario teams and the Quebec teams do over the years? We saw the Raiders do a bunch of trades at the deadline and certainly, uh, you know, made the big deal with Victoria, for example. But I think, uh, you know, compare that to Guelph and all the moves they did. And I think you could say the, uh, the storm certainly uh, stocked up a lot more than the Raiders did. But and I know there's been discussion. You've had talks with people on social media about the, the grind that is the WHL playoffs compared to even in Ontario, where Guelph to Ottawa is certainly a lot shorter trip than having to go cross country uh, that, uh, you know, or cross half the country that uh, the Western Hockey League teams may have to do going into the championship series. Is this a little bit of a, you know, one of those where we're just getting a little thing and in a couple of years from now we'll be talking about Western Hockey League teams winning this tournament? Quite possible. Junior hockey seems to go in odd cycles. And, uh, you know, I think for PA, the fact that such a, an emotional win in Game 7 on Monday 
and then to have to turn around and hit Halifax on Wednesday, you know, you know, Wednesday night was a late one with the celebration and uh, celebration, we'll say afterwards, uh, later on into Monday night and Tuesday morning, I'm sure that's natural after winning your league championship and then to uh, have to ramp it back up again. It's not easy to do. I think it's maybe a little easier for teams that maybe are able to win their final series a little bit quicker in a four or five game series and then uh, ratchet it back up. But, uh, you know, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why, you know, because I think there is that combination of maybe uh, not as willing to load up compared to the other leagues at times and then add the travel is sort of a little from column A, maybe a little from column B. Yeah, I agree. There's lots of different ways to look at it. I think you looked at even 10 years ago, the WHL didn't struggle. Um, so maybe it is just a cyclical thing. And I mean, if you flip the coin, how many games have we seen in the Memorial Cup over the last 30 years? 200, 300? If you flip the coin 300 times, you'd probably have a stretch of 13 heads or 13 tails somewhere along the way. And maybe that's what we've got right now with the WHL. The, the, the opening game, uh, the, the host will always play the opening game. And that just makes sense. I think the host should be playing the other team from that league, though, um, just because you have two other teams who are traveling greater distances. I don't think, you know, next year when it's in Kelowna, I think it should be Kelowna and whoever the other WHL team is rather than Kelowna and the team from the Q or the team from the OHL, just, just to save a little bit on that travel. Do you think that's a reasonable uh, adjustment, or would that take away from the Tuesday gate because it's a little harder to sell out a Tuesday than than it is uh, when you have teams from other uh, conferences. Well, I think you look at this tournament mostly, you talk about the gate, I think in most cases they look at selling the packages anyway. So yeah. I don't necessarily know if that's the factor. And indeed, you know that the way the format is now, yeah, Tuesday's the, we'll call it the dud game because it's the, you know, the two non-league teams and then Wednesday's the big marquee game. So I guess that's the thing. Do you take the marquee game, make it the start of the tournament or make it the last game of the round robin? You know, once again, you could sort of take it either way. And I can understand that idea to give that team one extra day to sort of get acclimatized. And especially when you have uh, major uh, time zone differences, for example. So, you know, is that an awful idea? No. Is it the uh, perfect, uh, you know, pill, perfect situation? No, pro- you know, who knows? We don't know either way. You know, it's one of those where it's a format that can always be tweaked, but then uh, you end up, uh, you know, really uh, making any major changes. I don't necessarily see that. I think, you know, the marquee games are probably the opener and then that last game of the round robin. And then, you know, if that last game of the round robin is now the host team versus someone from the other league, is that going to make a big difference? Hmm. I don't think it's going to make a huge damper on it one way or the other. All right, uh, let's look at the uh, the three teams that are still uh, left playing in Halifax. Obviously, the Mooseheads moving on. The, the semifinal will be Guelph against uh, Ruin Miranda, and uh, that should be a good game, as it was in the uh, the round-robin portion. Uh, how do you size up that matchup right now? Well, I think it's very interesting. I think the Guelph Storm are a team that, uh, you know, their coach, George Burnett, has uh, made the comment that he'd like to see them tighten up a little bit more defensively, as coaches are uh, one to do and wanting their players to do. He even kind of made a, a little crack that he thought his players were playing a little bit like Harlem Globetrotters a couple of times, which for George to even come up with a line like that, who's very deadpan and uh, monotone at times, uh, we were sort of caught off guard a little bit when he came up with that. But, uh, you know, it's a storm team that they're a deep club. They're a club that can play a skilled game, a club that's not a play, afraid to mix it up physically as well. So I think if they play their game, and I think the key for them is to tighten up on the back end because, uh, you know, there's obviously been questions about goaltender Anthony Popovich, but he's lived up to exactly what he's needed to do to backstop and right to an OHL championship. But, uh, you know, is he a goaltender that's going to steal games? Not necessarily, but is he a guy that give him a chance to make that first save and he's going to be in there for you? I think that's where Ruin's going to try 
try and get more traffic on him and try to see if they can get some second chance opportunities like any team would. But, uh, you know, knowing that uh, there are some opportunities there and both teams, of course, are going to learn from the game they played against each other in the round robin. I had a listener uh, send me a question on Twitter about the uh, the Guelph Storm and just the, the number of imports that they have on the team. They have five Russian players. Now, only two of them were taken in the import draft. The other three relocated to Canada. What two three years before uh, the the the, uh, the OHL priority selection is that how they kind of get around it? Well, that's they do. Fedor Gordiev though has been in Canada since he was, I believe, six okay. eight years old, something like that. That's also why we call him Gordiev and not Gordiev. Yeah. That was actually something we had corrected uh, this year to be clarified for us because you know, sure they are Russian descent, but uh, definitely consider themselves a Canadian family. But yes, there have been. Uh, over the years, players that have come to Canada in the two or three years uh, before the OHL priority selection and get themselves in that way. We even go back to Alex Galchenyuk being the first overall pick in the OHL, and then he was a player that, uh, you know, certainly born in the U.S., but spent a lot of time growing up in Russia before they came over. Uh, Nikita Korostolev, a Leaf pick, uh, formerly was another player like that. There have been a bunch, and indeed that was sort of the way to uh, get around the import rules. But, uh, no, the Guelph Storm do not have any extra imports or anything like that. And I think we're seeing that a bit more with, you know, diverse families, especially from the Toronto area things like that. But, uh, you know, indeed, we can go through many players over the years that, uh, you know, just because their last name is not Smith or Jones does not mean they're an import. Uh, Sean Dersey, a defenseman leading the tournament in scoring right now. He's in L.A. Kings' second-round pick, or excuse me, a, a Toronto Maple Leafs second-round pick, but property now of uh, of the L.A. Kings. Uh, is this a surprise to see him uh, leading the way in, in scoring? No, I don't think so, because you saw going in uh, basically last year, he really stepped up his game, and that earned him that second-round pick. A guy who was passed over in the NHL draft. And how often do we see that? A player passed over and then becoming a second-round pick. That's unheard of. But uh, with the Owen Sound attack, he really lit it up. And the one thing with Owen Sound, even if they have a really good team, they can still be off the radar a little bit in one of the smallest communities in in the whole country, in the entire CHL, never mind the smallest community in the OHL. So Dursey, a player who, when he's been healthy, has been dominant on the back end, and it helps even more when he's uh, making that first pass to a very loaded offense. He already... Of course, was working with Nick Suzuki and Owen Sound, but add a Radcliffe and add many more. Sam Marukov with them too. No, Sean Dursey's a guy who can definitely put up a lot of points. Scoring those, uh, you know, two goals in the one game against Halifax. You know, anytime a defenseman scores two goals, you kind of, uh, you know, you can't say you expect that. But uh, you know, the fact that he's put up big numbers, I wouldn't say is a big shock because he's a guy that, when he's been healthy over the last two years, has really made a name for himself in the OHL. Alexei Toropchenko, a uh, St. Louis uh, Blues draft pick. He scored uh, 17 goals this year and last year, so not a stranger to put in the puck in the in the net. But outside of the OHL, might not have been a household name. Certainly, uh, made a pretty good splash here at the in Halifax. Oh, I don't think he was a household name necessarily, in even in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, <laughs> but then really took off in the playoffs, and uh, you know, especially uh, late in the playoffs, was really dominant for the Guelph Storm, and uh, you know, was able to carry that right up on through. And then uh, indeed, the St. Louis Blues have themselves a pretty strong prospect. In Torpchenko, but when uh, you know you mentioned his goal-scoring prowess, when you can score 17 in the regular season each of the last two years, and then 13 in the OHL playoffs in 24 games, so approaching your uh, season total over the course of uh, just 24 games in the playoffs really shows a guy who uh, just really stepped up his game and uh, you know was on fire really for the last couple of rounds of the playoffs. And big reason why the Storm were able to uh, make those comebacks and beat the Ottawa 67s is when you have those guys going that maybe you weren't expecting, uh, you know, coming out of the regular season. Torbchenko scores 17 goals in the regular season, so you think, okay, if he gets, you know, five in the playoffs, is that sort of a good pro-rated number, six in the playoffs? 
something along there. Well, when he goes off for 13, they're like, okay, that's one of those guys, the old, uh, the old John Drew story from many years ago where a guy puts up huge numbers in the playoffs and really ups his game from the regular season, and Torbchenko was exactly that for the Storm this year. Uh, Terry, the uh, usual suspects for Guelph have been uh, uh, really strong again, Suzuki and, and uh, Isaac Radcliffe and uh, Mackenzie Entwistle. Has there been somebody who's maybe hasn't shown up uh, or made the impact on the score sheet yet that, that we should expect maybe uh, to be a, a guy who leads the way? Well, Nate Schnarr has maybe been a little bit quieter than uh, some would have expected. Uh, you know, a guy who put up 102 points in the regular season, but, uh, you know, has maybe been overshadowed a little bit by the Suzukis, by the Jerseys, by the Radcliffe players of that ilk, and, of course, the way Torpchenko has played as well. But if he can come along and chip in, and then, uh, you know, the Guelph has a lot of guys, too, that are the, the guys coaches love to see out there. Maybe don't show up on the score sheet as much. Dom Camiso with face-off work, especially on the penalty kill. Uh, Cedric Ralph, uh, a guy who, uh, like George Burnett says, like a dog on a ball, and he's just, uh, you know, all over, does all that hard work. He's not going to put up big numbers. But, you know, he'll chip in here and there. But when he does, you know, 50 points, 21 goals in the regular season, four goals in the playoffs, but does that solid hard work that coaches are looking upon. And those are two guys, uh, you know, I think you look at those two along with Schnarr, certainly are the key guys to really help. And we see this year in and year out, and you know it as well, no matter which of the three uh, junior leagues to win championships, it's those second, third line, even those bottom six forwards, that make a huge difference in some of those guys, especially in Camiso, who was picked up from the Oshawa Generals. Ralph is a guy who's been there uh, throughout the run uh, that Guelph has had building up to this championship team are guys that are big factors. Well, you make a point about uh, secondary scoring being so important. Uh, you look at Roy Naranda, and sure, you expect uh, Jakob Loco to be up there and Joel Teasdale and, and, and uh, players like that. But then you see uh, Tyler Heinem, who I was not even on my radar, and uh, he had a big game earlier in the tournament and is one of Roy Naranda's leading scorers at this point. But they've got guys who haven't necessarily delivered on the score sheet quite like they're probably expected to as well, the Huskies. Well, that's exactly. And they just had, you know, I think you look at the way they played to start this tournament, you thought, okay, you're just sort of looking for that extra gear to come out of them. And, of course, you know, Noah Dobson on the blue line is obviously going to be a huge factor for them for their success. And uh, the fans in Halifax definitely know it as he's booed every time he touches the puck uh, out here. And, uh, you know, the old sign of respect when you are booed every time you, uh, you know, they don't boo the irrelevant players every time they get it. And he's a guy that logs a lot of, uh, you know, a ton of ice time. And when it comes to the semifinal, you know, the play is going to go through him a whole lot. And, uh, you know, their big guns need to be their big guns just as Guelph has that. And then, the old line, if the big guns neutralize each other, then you look to those secondary guys. And, you know, I think uh, that's the thing with Ruin. They've gotten some guys chipping in, but I think still looking for that uh, that next year. And, uh, you know, we've seen that throughout this tournament. You know, they beat PA, and then they, uh, you know, scored that late goal against Halifax to wrap up the round robin when Halifax was just playing, uh, you know, protect a tie game if there's ever such a thing. We saw that in the last game of the round robin where Halifax was totally just looking to protect a 3-3 tie. And even when they gave up that last goal to make it 4-3, down by one, no, they're not pulling the goalie. No, they're just playing kitty bar the door once again to not give up another one. So a little bit of a different situation where I think there's still another gear. And I thought Daniel Harvey was fighting the puck the first half of the game against Halifax. Uh, I was down at his end for uh, some of the game, and I just thought he you know, just wasn't crisp. And I think that's where he's going to need to be crisp in the semifinal. Now, when you look at Halifax, uh, and I think experience is really uh, coming to the forefront for them. Antoine Moran, Samuel Aslan, those guys are on fire for the Mooseheads right now. Max Trampania leading them in scoring. But 
You know, Raphael Lavoie's only got two points, not to suggest that he's played poorly because he's been all over the ice, uh, but that experience getting guys who have been here before has, has really seemed to have paid off for the Moosehead. Would you agree? Well, that's exactly it. And I think, you know, they're enjoying the home cooking here. But, uh, you know, yes, uh, you know, Antoine Moran with his three goals so far in the tournament uh, through the round robin. You know, Samuel Aslan, a guy who's uh, certainly not uh, are very familiar with the Memorial Cup time and uh, with two more goals here in this tournament. And uh, a guy who gets his nose dirty, not afraid to mix it up and uh, not afraid to uh, embellish a little bit if he has to, to try and, uh, you know, get a power play for his hockey club as well. Did I say that politely enough? Yeah. Uh, from, that, from that standpoint. But you know what? Hey, if you can, you take the breaks, you take any opportunity you can get when it comes to the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I think that's where we go through. And, you know, Bo Grew scores a, a big goal for them in Wednesday night's game as well. So, yeah, I think once again, I think every team can say, We've got another gear. We've got a couple more players that can step up. And I think that's where, as we move along, you mentioned Lavoie with one and one so far with the two points in the three games. Does he have a big game in the final, for example? And, you know, Alexis Gravel has got to have a big game in goal, just like any goaltender at this point in the season with just three out of 60 teams left in all the Canadian Hockey League. Those are the guys that, uh, you know, the coaches have called upon and have looked for since either the beginning of the season or a trade deadline situation. You know, this is why you're put in those roles. This is why you're a top six forward or a guy logging a ton of minutes uh, throughout the season. This is why for these big games. Uh, a big showcase event like this. Some of the draft eligible guys are hoping to stand out and, and uh, gain a little extra attention. Uh, Prince Albert had a couple of high profile guys and Brett Leeson and, and Alexi Protus. Neither one of them hit the score sheet. Both of them end at dash four. Uh, outside of Raphael Lavoie, has there been a draft eligible guy that's, that's caught attention there? To me, no. I'm going to be, to be, to be blunt. I don't see, you know, necessarily a big jump out for this tournament. That's why, you know, talking to some scouts that they didn't, uh, you know, the number of scouts that are here is not as high as some years, obviously because of the situation where there just aren't as many uh, big time draft eligibles. But you've, uh, you know, I talked to a few who maybe uh, canceled their flights at last minute or canceled their plans at last minute or just decided to, uh, you know, limit their trip here. And I think that's, you know, just the way sometimes this tournament goes when, of course, championship teams are usually dominated by 19 year olds that have already gone through the draft process and 20 year olds that, uh, you know, to me, there isn't someone who's really jumped off the page to say, uh, okay, now for uh, heading towards the combine and the NHL draft, it's going to have to take another extra look at him. There's nobody, you know, to me that really jumps off the page that way because a lot of the big guns are already have uh, NHL teams beside their names. Terry, I picked Guelph uh, to win before the Memorial Cup started. I, I think I'll still go with the Guelph Storm. Uh, but when you had three teams that finished the, the round robin two and one, I mean, this is really close. Who's going to be on top when it's all said and done? Well, I think the one thing is, even when we went into this, like we talked about this in the media center, I think it was uh, before the last game of the round robin where we don't see a clear-cut favorite, where a lot of times at this tournament we do. And now Halifax getting the bye to the final – it helps them, but I find sometimes it can be a little bit of a hindrance where you're sitting around. And I think at least sitting around at home is better because you're used to that during the season. I think it can be a harmful situation to sit around for a long time if you're the road team here at the Memorial Cup. We saw that with Guelph, for example, in 2014 in London where they did. They sat around and went stir crazy. And I've seen that, you know, over two decades at this tournament, I've seen that at times where the teams that get two and three or more days off, if they don't use it properly, can go a little stir crazy. I think, you know, right now, Guelph is certainly a team I would not want to mess with going into a semifinal, but they've got to get through the semifinal first before looking ahead to the championship game. I think maybe Rouen's been uh, lying in the weeds a little bit and might uh, just come along and say, "Uh, excuse me, we were, uh, you know, top team in Canada uh, down the stretch and uh, made a huge run in the Quebec League all through the season. Don't forget about us. And, 
you know, the Mooseheads are going to have 9,500 screaming people behind them. And these are people in Halifax that don't need uh, signs on the scoreboard to say, make noise. <laughs> they do it automatically. They do it uh, without being prompted. And uh, when you have that behind them, and I think the Mooseheads, uh, you know, with the, the home comforts and even though having the break, now you're just back into regular season mode where you do have four ga- days between games, for example, and can go through that kind of situation. So all in all, you know, I hate to sit on the fence too much, but, uh, you know, I think any of these three teams, uh, you know, no matter which one is on the ice, uh, raising the cup come Sunday night, it's not going to surprise me in the least. Excellent. Looking forward to Friday and Sunday for sure. And Terry, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Hey, not a problem. Just watching boats go by. So it's pretty cool. Sitting on a patio, watching the boats go by out in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Terry Doyle, a longtime broadcaster and longtime uh, guest here on the Pipeline Show as well. And uh, very well-spoken, really insightful, always appreciative when Terry is available to come on the program. We go from the Memorial Cup. And if you want my prediction, uh, you know what? Throw my predictions out the window because uh, my pre-tournament predictions, uh, I got the first game right. I picked Halifax to beat Prince Albert on opening night. Might have been the easiest uh, game to predict. After that, I was I was terrible. I mean, I had... Uh, I had Halifax as the worst team, and they ended up being, uh, so far at least, uh, straight to the final. So they had the best record uh, through the round robin. So you can take my predictions and uh, burn them. I, st- I had Guelph uh, winning the tournament. I'll stick with Guelph, as I mentioned there with Terry. Up next, we'll recap the Junior A Championship, the National Junior A Championship in Canada, which uh, happened last weekend in Brooks. Andrew Peard was part of the broadcast crew. He's my guest next here on the Pipeline Show. McKechnie won it, left half towards McCarr, skates down the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots and scores! (laughs) A thing of beauty, a work of art. Kale McCarr just took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris and Duncan Keith and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Look, guy, we have to stay strong. If you don't stand with your fellow Canadians, then you are a rat. Don't call me a rat, buddy. I'm not your buddy, friend. He's not your friend, guy. I'm not your guy, buddy. He's not your buddy, friend. I'm not your friend, guy. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, pleased to be joined by Andrew Peard, who I shared the uh, broadcast booth this uh, past season with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, long-time listener and now a uh, third-time caller. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all right. Well, since the Old Kings uh, playoff run uh, came to an end, uh, you got into the booth, though, once again, and you were doing some uh, – you were covering 
the National Junior A Championship down in Brooks. Um, now, for me, I don't know uh, much about most of the teams that were there. Uh, obviously, the Brooks Bandits would be the one I'd be most familiar with, but even a lot of the names on that club I was unfamiliar with this year. Um, what was the tournament like, and how much did you know about the teams before you got there? Yeah, kind of similar to Yugi going into this. I uh, didn't know much about the teams. Obviously, my focus uh, this year was uh, primarily on the Western Hockey League. I did like to keep track, obviously, of the Alberta Junior Hockey League when I could, having spent uh, more than four seasons covering uh, teams in that league. And, and just like you mentioned, the, the Brooks Bandits, they've, they've had a, a bunch of turnovers, so I think there's only five or six guys uh, off that team that, uh, that I, I really recognize from uh, years past. But um, the, the tournament overall was, was fantastic. I also didn't really know what to expect going into it, but first and foremost, the organizers uh, headed up by Tyler King, uh, of course, the business manager for the Brooks Bandits, they did a fabulous job with the bid to get the tournament, uh, and then once they had it uh, in town uh, over the course uh, of that week, uh, last week, um, they, they did an outstanding job. The hockey was tremendous. There was a bit of disparity early on in the week, I thought, with some of the teams, uh, specifically the Portage Terriers, who are going to be hosting the tournament next year. Uh, they had, I think, 11 rookies on their roster, and it was more of a learning experience for them, I think, ahead of hosting it next year. They ended up losing all four of their games. And then both the Ottawa and Oakville got off to, to kind of tough starts. Ottawa did win their first game, but then lost the next three. Uh, Oakville... Um, they ended up uh, in the semifinal after going 0-2 to start, but closed off the round robin nicely going 2-2. Two two. But from the outstretch of that tournament, it really felt like it was going to be a two-team tournament between the Prince George Spruce Kings and Brooks Bandits, and that's exactly what it ended up being. Those teams uh, obviously playing in two different leagues. The Prince George, the champions of the BCHL, as well won the Doyle Cup against the Brooks Bandits after the Bandits, of course, won the AJHL championship. But uh, that series technically... Uh, meaningless uh, in terms of getting a berth into the National Junior A Championship with Brooks hosting, so both teams automatically qualified. But it would be the Bandits kind of turning things on their head against Prince George after losing that Doyle Cup in six games to the Spruce Kings. They end up winning uh, their round-robin match against Prince George and then, uh, of course, uh, the National Junior A Championship final, which was uh, a fabulous game uh, down at the Centennial Regional Arena in Brooks. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks were able to watch it on the uh, the TSN network and um, it was really just um, outstanding hockey by by two uh, elite level junior A hockey teams. Well, not surprisingly, the way uh, you described it and the way it played out, that uh, Prince George and Brooks dominated the scoring uh, in the tournament. Outside of Spencer Kirsten uh, from Oakville, uh, he's the only guy from uh, not one of those two teams that broke into the top ten in uh, in tournament scoring. Um, were there some individual performances uh, by the uh, by the other three teams? Not Prince George or Brooks that uh, caught your attention that uh, you know maybe we see guys getting drafted or that are already drafted or might hear from down the road that that you think of. Well, I I think of a, a couple of guys on the Ottawa Junior Senators. They had a 16 year old in the name of Kyle Jackson. He's going to be off to play in the Ontario Hockey League next year with uh, North Bay. Um, he was uh, he was by far and away the 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 best forward on on Ottawa just 16 years old, like I mentioned, doesn't turn 17 uh, until October. So he's got one of those late birthdays. So next year won't even uh, be uh, his draft year. Uh, he's definitely going to be a guy to keep an eye on. Just a, a big forward. He's got great finish around the net, uh, a real heavy shot, and uh, seemingly thinks the game uh, quite well. Obviously, just limited viewing for myself watching him play. But I uh, really liked what I saw to the youngster, Kyle Jackson, and, and their netminder, uh, Francis Boisvert. Um, he was uh, named the tournament MVP for good reason. I, I thought outside of Kyle Jackson, 
uh, on Ottawa. They were um, scrambling a little bit to, to find a consistent offensive attack, but he oftentimes kept them in games in that tournament, and, and he was uh, uh, certainly a, a real treat to watch for, for the, uh, the Ottawa Junior Senators uh, in net. Sustained an injury in their final round Robin game. I think that plagued them a little bit uh, in the semifinal, but uh, a very um, in-control goaltender, a real good movement in the net. Uh, pucks seemed to stick to him, and when they didn't, he was able to battle for it and find loose pucks in around him. So I really liked him. And then uh, a young defenseman on the Portage Terriers. I think we're going to hear a little bit more from him as Owen Murray. He was uh, the rookie of the year uh, in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Had a, a bit of a quiet tournament uh, in terms of offense. Obviously tough for a 16-year-old defenseman in a tournament like that with uh, tons of uh, a real good teams around him uh, to produce offensively. But I think that's going to be a guy uh, that we certainly hear about uh, down the road. And I know you didn't uh, want to ask about the, the Prince George team just yet, but i got to keep an eye on certainly ahead of this draft is, is Leighton Ahak. I'm sure we're going to talk about him uh, a little bit more. Yeah, I was going to get to Prince George next. Uh, Dylan Anhorn led the tournament in scoring with eight mm-hmm. points, and then you had Ben Brar and Dustin Manns and Nick Poisson. Is it Poison? Poisson? Uh, he had- Poisson. He had uh, six points, though. Those three guys all had six points. Were there some other guys that, that stood out? I, I don't know if any of them are drafted or draft eligible this year, but uh, what do you think of Prince George's lineup? Yeah, from the back end, we'll, we'll start there. Actually, we'll start in net. Logan Neaton, he was he was really good. It was kind of funny. I mentioned Francis Boulevard, the goaltender for Ottawa, was named the, the tournament MVP, but the top goaltender was uh, Logan Neaton of, uh, of Prince George, and um, he was really good for them uh, throughout the tournament. wasn't too busy in the round robin, of course, until they met Brooks, and uh, I thought he was really good in that game and very good uh, in the semifinal game they played against Oakville. Uh, he's a guy that's uh, off to the NCAA next year, and I think we might be hearing about him in uh, three or four years' time coming out of uh, school. Um, Leighton Ahak on the back end, he's rated, uh, I think, to go somewhere in the second or third round uh, of this June's draft, so uh, certainly a guy to keep an eye on. He's going to uh, Ohio State, uh, I believe, uh, as early as next year. Uh, had a real good season with 32 points in uh, 53 games for uh, Prince George. Played for uh, Canada West at the World Junior A Championship. He's a guy that ticks a lot of boxes. Um, you know, he's, he's good in his own end, but uh, can also uh, bring the offense. I mean, um, in the playoffs alone, he had 17 points in, in 17 games for Prince George. So he's a he's a pretty electrifying defenseman. Dylan Anhorn, like you mentioned, also a defenseman on Prince George. He led the tournament in scoring, and seemingly uh, every time he was on the ice, he was making something happen in the offensive zone. Uh, gets pucks through really well from the back end, uh, as well as has uh, an exceptional first pass out of his own zone. And, and then up front, uh, the Poisson brothers. Uh, ben was the captain, the older brother. Uh, of Prince George, just a, a real good, hardworking forward and uh, a guy that can bring the offense. But uh, younger brother Nick, he scored a goal in every game of the tournament, six straight games with a goal. He was uh, dangerous every time he, he touched the puck. And, and something that um, uh, you mentioned, a, a guy by the name of Ben Brar, uh six points in the tournament, maybe something that uh, ended uh, a comeback bid by Prince George in that championship game. Uh, on Sunday uh, was uh, with the the score. I believe it was uh, it was four one at the time, and Ben Brar ends up getting kicked out of the game for a, a check from behind on Ray Christie. And um, Prince George obviously able to pull the within uh, one goal of Brooks in that game. But I think they would have had him in the lineup um, for the rest of that game. It could have made a, a real difference. So it was a tough loss for them because he's a big body forward who skates really well for a guy of his size. And, and something that sometimes we don't see at the junior level with guys with really good size is. Sometimes using it effectively, I thought he did. He was able to to protect pucks well and, and kind of power through defenders. So uh, he was a big loss for them because he was a real good player uh, throughout the tournament. 
Andrew Peard, my guest, uh, recapping the National Junior A Championship uh, that the Brooks Bandits, in the end, uh, defeated uh, Prince George to uh, take the uh, championship this year. 4-3 was the final. Let's look at that Brooks Bandits team. And it's funny because I was looking at the the uh, the scoring in the turn in this tournament compared to the Doyle Cup. Uh, William LeMay, who led Brooks in scoring this year with 90 points, had uh, I think no points in the. Oh, he had one point in the Doyle Cup. Ended up having five at the at, in this tournament. Tyler Campbell, who led them in the Doyle Cup, uh, was almost I think he was held off the score sheet or had maybe one point or something in at the National Junior A Championship. Uh, then you had. Uh, uh, Luke Bast, no points in the Doyle Cup, ended up leading the tournament and scoring for a defenseman. So this is completely different than the Doyle Cup. Surprising. Yeah, and I think that kind of just speaks to the bandit lineup. It's kind of pick your poison, whoever you want to key on. And that's great if you're going to shut down one or two lines of the bandits. The only problem is their other two lines are, are basically, um, you know, first or second lines themselves. So, uh, they, they had tremendous depth, and, and it really shone through throughout the course uh, of the tournament. Each and every night, you didn't really know um, who was going to uh, to lead their offensive attack, but uh, oftentimes, uh, not oftentimes, I mean, they went undefeated uh, in the tournament. Somebody stepped up and, and provided the heroics um, in the championship game. It was Simon Boyko, who uh, through the opening three games of the tournament uh, had not uh, factored in and then got uh, hot uh, through the uh, the last game of the round robin into the semifinals and uh, ends up scoring three goals in uh, the last two banded games uh, of the season. Um, you know, you, you look up and down their roster, it's hard to just pick anyone out of that group and, and really key on them because everyone was was such a key contributor, even from the affiliate player, uh, Corson Kuhlmans, who, who plays uh, in minor hockey this year. He was just 15 in hockey age to start this year uh, up here uh, in the Edmonton region. Uh, he gets called up for the, the playoff run, gets into some limited action there. Uh, and then in the National Junior A Championship, all but uh, one game, he plays every game for them, and uh, he was outstanding. So for the Brooks Bandits, um, they were the by far the deepest team in this tournament, and uh, with them obviously winning this tournament, I think it's safe to say they were probably the deepest Junior A team uh, around in, in the, the country this year, and that's a credit to head coach and general manager Ryan Papuano and, and his scouting staff because they did a, a fantastic job of identifying talent throughout the course of the the off season and bringing guys in and when you consider they, they really don't make too many in-season moves uh that really just shows um how well they are at, at recruiting and, and that's obviously the biggest key and in junior a hockey where um i know a few leagues do have drafts nowadays but uh for the most part it's it's basically go out and, and find your own guys and, and brooks does it better than anybody well and they certainly go the distance to do it too because looking at the roster i think now, the Hockey Canada website has a roster of 26 to 27 guys on it. There's like seven from Alberta. So, I mean, they're going out and finding players from across the country and, and a handful of Americans as well. Uh, and we see that with other teams like Penticton uh, with the Vs have always done a good job of recruiting from out of the province as well. But what do you make of that, though? Is that is that a good look for the AJHL to, to have your champion just made up mostly of non-Alberta players? Well, when they win the National Junior A Championship, I think the Alberta Junior Hockey League is is just fine with it. I mean, it, it's a it's one of those things where you know you you look at it and and it is called the Alberta Junior Hockey League, and, and you, you'd like to think there's there's plenty of talent here uh, in Alberta to to choose from. But uh, at the end of the day, um, Ryan Papawano, he's going to be judged on on wins and losses, and if he feels that that he can 
have an edge in the in recruiting uh, through going to Quebec or Ontario or as far south as Miami, Florida, such as where he found Randy Hernandez. Um, you know, the more power to him to to do so because in junior A hockey, it, it's about um, like I mentioned uh, earlier, recruiting. And for these staffs, oftentimes, you know, they, they find a niche in, in, in certain regions. And you know, while you hope it's Alberta, the only problem with that is you, you look at a, a team like the Spruce Grove Saints who virtually, um, you know, in, in northern Alberta specifically, basically have uh, the run at uh, the, the top-end Edmonton area players that want to play junior A hockey just – because those players get a, a chance to play closer to home and uh, obviously the success that that program has had. And, and it's starting to form a little bit in the South with a, a team like the Okotoks Oilers and, and the way they've been able to uh, identify talent in and around the Calgary area. And so those are the, the two biggest uh, metro areas for your recruiting. So uh, oftentimes these teams have to go outside the province. Um, Brooks obviously did more than than uh, a lot of teams uh, are all the teams uh, in the league do, but uh, at the end of the day, for for Ryan Papawano, he's he's comfortable in recruiting those players, and uh, as long as the rules permit it, um, I don't see why uh, why uh, he wouldn't, uh, you know, obviously try and give himself every advantage uh, in doing so. And um, at the uh, the end of the day, uh, it worked for them. They were national junior A champions, and they, and it's a cyclical thing. I, I think we'll see next year. They'll probably have a few more uh, Alberta guys uh, on their roster. Just uh, one of the way the the things worked out for them this year. Andrew, before I let you go, a couple of Oil King notes uh, we should touch on. Uh, they have signed their first-round pick. He was taken 18th overall uh, last month in the uh, WHL's Bantam draft. And it's uh, Caleb, I don't know if it's Reimer or Reimer. Do you? I've not uh, had a chance to uh, speak with him. I'm going to guess Reimer. It's spelled uh, like that, James uh, Reimer, but I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's basically all I'm basing it off of is that it's spelled that way, and that's how he says it. But uh but yeah, big body forward, and um, yeah. you know it's uh, a, a nice add to the the treasure trove of real good prospects the Oil Kings have uh, up and coming. And really curious to get a look at him when uh, prospects get going here right away. And the other note for the Oil Kings, uh, they picked up Riley Sawchuk from the uh, the Tri City Americans. He'll be an overage player next season. Now they they still have six overage guys on their current roster. Now seven with the addition of Riley Sawchuk. First. What do you know about Sachuk? Uh With Tri City, they didn't come here this year, so I didn't get to see him play. Yeah, I only got to to see him the, the one time. And had someone told me that uh, in May the Oil Kings would trade for him, I may have uh, watched him a little bit closer. But yeah. um, you know, looking at his numbers, I I think this might be uh, a, a similar thing that we saw the team do last year with with grabbing uh, Vince Lovskiavo and. And Quinn Benjafield, he, he saw a real uptick in his numbers this year, going from 24 points a couple of years ago to 53 this year. Goal production didn't quite jump up uh, as much as you might imagine. He had 15 goals uh, in that 24-point season, 20 this year. But uh, I think he's a guy that has shown that uh, he's been able to, to raise his game to another level and uh, a little bit late in his junior career. So the team, I think, banking on him being able to, to find yet another gear as he heads into his uh, his overage season, which will be his uh, fourth full year in the Western Hockey League. And um, if they can find another guy 
similar to uh, what they did in in their three, well, really three twenty year olds this year. I, I said Benjafield and lost Yavel, but we saw Andrew Fighting come in, and he was everything this team needed and and a little bit more. So uh, I think hoping to get uh, some of that uh, out of uh, out of Riley Sawchuk, not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, as we're starting to find out. Uh, in the game of hockey size uh, really uh, does not mean as much as it used to. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good acquisition. And, oh, yeah, like you mentioned, ton of 20-year-old decisions to come for this Edmonton Oil King team. I think, um, obviously, they trade for Sostra, give up a third-round pick to get him, so you can slot him in, and I yep. would be um, absolutely shocked if Connor McDonald is, is not uh, uh, penned into next year's lineup. So, all of a sudden, it's it's down to just one spot left and a lot of good players to choose from. You know, Dylan Miskey, Will Warm, um, you know, Parker Gavlis, who I, I thought really just ha- had resurrected his, his uh, Western Hockey League career this year after coming over to the Oil Kings. Um, you know, Trey Fix-Wolanski, I, I think after his performance in the American Hockey League playoffs, we might um, not be uh, seeing him back next year, which yeah. uh, is no surprise uh, to anybody. And Zach Russell, who in and out of the lineup, my guess is that he'll be a guy that will be moved along at some point. But, I mean, geez, you look on the back end with Dylan Miskew and Nett, Will Warm, and Parker Gavlis to choose from. Um, boy, oh, boy, hard decisions coming for the uh, the management team of the Oil Kings. Really hard decision. and Obviously, you're going to hold on to Trey Fix-Wolanski's rights just in yeah. case, by chance, he gets sent back. And if he does, well, then you've got, I think it's still October 10th or something, to, to make a decision uh, and to, to readjust. And then you, you just... Obviously, he'd be a guy you keep. Uh, but really, I mean, you can make an argument for to keep Dylan Miskew. You can make an argument to keep Will Warm. You can make an argument to keep Parker Gavlis as well. And, you know, based, I don't know how much of it is based on what you can get for the other guys via trade, uh, or if you're just outright releasing guys. At this point, I'm not sure who, who which of the three guys, uh, that I would keep, which, which three would be my guys. Do, do you know? Like, uh, who would be your three guys? Because I, I agree with you, like Connor McDonald is is one of them for sure, and they just acquired Sachuk, so he's going to be there. But yeah, I, I'm in the the same spot right now because Dylan Miskew, virtually saving this team season with the you know the injury to Todd Scott to start the year, and and no real uh, idea of what they were going to do with the the goaltending situation. He came in and was uh, an excellent stopgap and ended up being the team starting goaltender and playing yeah. uh, terrifically in the playoffs after a bit of a hiccup to start against Medicine Hat. So. But but it, I I like what you said about maybe it depends on what you can get for these guys um, with with Dylan Miskew you know a guy that I would like to to see back on this team but it's it's definitely a a numbers game if someone has a goaltending issue heading into next year and they come at the Oil Kings with a a pretty solid offer it, it's something that they would have to consider um, but at the same time I mean you, you're nowhere without a goaltender uh, in the Western Hockey League or any hockey league so. Uh, you know, I I think right now he'd be the the early candidate. But another thing that's going to come down to is what's Todd Scott's development look like heading into next year. How does Sebastian Kosa look heading into next year? So I mean, the the decisions and uh, the 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 reasons behind these decisions still need to be sorted out. And um, you know, it's it's going to be uh, certainly. A, uh, an exciting training camp and a nervous training camp for for a number of Oil King veterans. Andrew, as always, appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to. Are you going to make it to uh, like a Oil Kings prospect camp? Uh, when is that? Like in a, it's in a couple weeks, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. A couple weeks from now, and uh, definitely going to be down there. Um, uh, you know, going down and doing the National Junior Championship. It shows that I can spend about 
a week or two away from the hockey rink and then need to get back after it. So that'll be another thing to, to fill the void throughout the summertime. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll see you down there. And I know uh, you and I and uh, somebody named Low Tide have something coming up on TSN 1260 at the end of June as well. So looking forward to that, buddy. Me as well, Low Tide. Is that his real name even? I think so. Yeah. Hmm. It's on his birth certificate. It's really weird. <laughs> Can't wait, man. Okay. See you later. All right, man. That's uh, Andrew Peard, who was calling games uh, for the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, this past season and might again in 2019-20. I don't think uh, we know exactly yet because we don't know the availability on uh, for Corey Graham. What Andrew and I were alluding to there at the end is uh, the NHL draft coverage, of course, on TSN 1260 this year. I've been doing the draft uh, coverage on the station for the station since 2005. I think it was 2005, maybe 2004. Uh, every year except one year, I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly which year that was. It might have been 2014, something like that. Anyway, uh, excited to be part of it again. Not sure exactly the details. I, I know um, there is a bit of a challenge because the Edmonton Eskimos have a game that night, uh, so there's a pregame Eskimo show on the station. Uh, but clear sailing after that's over. So uh, lots of uh, lots of draft talk that night on TSN 1260 for sure. Myself. Andrew Peard and uh, Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide. You know him as Low Tide. Unless you're outside the Edmonton market, then you don't know him at all. That's not true. Low Tide is actually a genuinely great guy and uh, one of the most popular bloggers, if you will, in the Oilers blogosphere. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But... Uh, Going way back to my days with uh, Hockey's Future, he was around on the boards back then, and, well, before me, he spun that off into a very successful uh, blog of his own and writes for The Athletic and writes for Oilers Nation. So if you don't know who Low Tide is, I would be shocked. Great guy. Looking forward to uh, doing the draft with him again this year, and uh, Andrew Peard will join us as well. Quickly wanted to uh, remind you about the store next door. It's a company in uh, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia that employs people with disabilities and they collect as many hockey sticks as they can get their hands on broken sticks and they take those broken sticks and turn them into some really cool uh, furniture and uh, things like tables and chairs and desks and uh, picture frames and storage boxes, storage bins, shelves, you name it. If you, In fact, if you can think of an idea, uh, they'll listen to the idea and see if they can make it for you. Headboards for beds? It's crazy. Go to the storenextdoor.ca, check out their catalog. They'll ship it to you uh, in North America, and uh, I think you're really going to be, uh, you're going to feel good about what you've done if you buy something from the store next door. Employing people with disabilities, great cause, and uh, great folks uh, at the store next door. One more segment on this week's episode. It's a 2019 draft spotlight. One of the guys who uh, will be gone fairly early on June 21st, on day one of the draft. Dylan Cousins, power forward with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Hear from him next here on the Pipeline Show. Now near side white. Far side Krebs. Wrist shot scores. Peyton Krebs, a wrist shot from the far side and gets by Bailey Birkin. Hey, it's Peyton Krebs from the Kootenai and this is the Pipeline Show. Nothing 
compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We're going to turn on the 2019 draft spotlight to chat with another player who is in his draft eligible season, the NHL draft right around the corner. And my guest this week comes from the Western Hockey League, and that makes it an in-the-dub segment brought to you by our good friends, at dubnetwork.ca, stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League, even now in what is now officially the off season uh, in the WHL. Uh, dubnetwork.ca, uh, make it one of your first stops every day. My guest today, one of the uh, players you'll hear very early, his name called out at the NHL draft this year. His name is Dylan Cousins, uh, coming to us from the Leftbridge Hurricanes. Welcome to the Pipeline Show. Dylan, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, let's start by uh, looking back at uh, the most recent events. And for you, I guess that would have been the World U18 and, and getting to play for Canada. It's interesting. Your your season this year kind of bookended by playing for Canada. Started way back in August at the at the Holinka Gretzky Cup here in Edmonton and ended with Canada again at the World U18. Uh, what was uh, heading over to Sweden like for you this year? Yeah, it was definitely a great experience. Uh, I've never been over to that part of Europe, so just to be able to see Sweden and, and we only went to Finland a week earlier too. It was, it was pretty cool experience and just another chance to represent Canada. Obviously uh, we didn't have the result we wanted, but you know, just to meet with all the new guys and stuff and represent Canada again was a great experience for sure. How different was it from the Holinka Gretzky cup at the start of the year? I mean, you get that you've played a full season year. Was it a little bit different at the end of the year compared to the start of the season? Yeah, it was definitely a little bit different. You know, we're all run down from, either playoff runs of the long season that we had. So, yeah, so there's definitely some, like, kinks and injuries that we had. And, uh, you know, we're adding guys to our team as the tournament goes on. So it's a little different that way as well. But, you know, it, there's no excuses there. It was, it was a fun tournament to be a part of for sure. All right. Well, let's uh, ch- chat about the year as well with the uh, the Lethbridge Hurricanes. The playoffs obviously uh, ended uh, well before uh, you would have liked and uh, probably before most people expected. Uh, a first-round exit, seven-game series against the Calgary Hitmen. What went wrong for you guys? Yeah, we got off to a, a 2-0 lead, which was great. And, you know, I think we started getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe thought it was going to be a little, e- a little bit easy, but they, they battled back really hard and they, they kind of shocked us a little bit with those two games and how they ended up getting a 3-2 lead on us. And then we were chasing them the whole time. Uh, obviously, it, it didn't help that we didn't get to play in our home rink, but, yeah. you know, we can't make excuses there. Uh, they were playing in the same rink as us. It, it was unfortunate, but, you know, we had to deal with it. And then, you know, we, they shocked us in Game 7, and it was disappointing for us, for sure. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, you were playing at home in Lethbridge, but not at home. And I wondered if that was a, a factor from uh, from your perspective. And uh, interesting to, to hear you say that it was, even though, as you said, both teams uh, had to play in the same facility. But uh, not getting to play in familiar uh, grounds in, in, in a familiar rink, uh, using your own dressing room and all that stuff. Was it a challenge? Yeah, it was definitely a challenge. You know, we didn't even get to practice in that rink, really, because hmm. they had the U-Sports thing going on, too. Um, but, yeah, there's a big difference playing in front of 5,500 fans and then to 
1,000 fans. Like, there's a big difference there, and it, it is unfortunate. Our, our fans, like, Ben Max is a tough building to play in. So, uh, yeah, but once again, you know, we can't make excuses there. Obviously, it sucks, but, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Well, overall this year, uh, 84 points uh, for you, 34 of those were goals. Uh, this was your second season in the dub with uh, the Hurricanes this year. I got to think that you're pretty happy with the way things went for you on a on a personal level. Those are good numbers. Yeah, they were, they, they were pretty good. You know, I think personally I could have maybe got more at a couple droughts, uh, scoring droughts and stuff, but, you know, it kind of happens to everyone, so you can't think about that too much. And you just got to keep playing when you get in those droughts. But, yeah, I, I was pretty happy with how my season went personally. I think I played a consistent year. Well, 30, what, 31 points more than you, you had in your rookie season and 12 more goals. Did, did you find what was different about year two for you from year one other than having a year under your belt and a little uh, natural maturity uh, and uh, maybe some comfort level uh, having gone through the league once before? What was the biggest difference from year one and two? Yeah, I'd probably say, you know, it's a confidence, like not being afraid to, to try creative play and, you know, make a play and not being afraid to turn it over, I think, was the biggest thing and, and you know being like not a 16 year old uh, and playing with older guys I think I had a little more confidence there too uh, not always looking to move them the puck right away you know sometimes holding it on to a bit longer I think those are the biggest things just comfort level with the puck and you know just being more creative and trying more risks I think was the biggest thing. Dylan Cousins of the Lethbridge Hurricanes is my guest here on the Pipeline Show in our 2019 draft spotlight segment. Uh, Dylan what we do in this part of the show is let the audience kind of get to know somebody that's in your position being uh, a draft eligible player this year and uh the audience is uh, across North America so not everybody that's hearing this will have uh, watched you play or there might even be some casual NHL fans that don't know who Dylan Cousins is so uh let's get to know you a bit more uh let's start at the beginning where are you from I'm from Whitehorse Yukon which is a great story obviously I mean it's been talked about a lot about how you're kind of uh, taking on a pioneer role I think there's only been two players out of the out of uh out of the Yukon who have dressed in the NHL and not uh, for very long, I think. Uh, Peter Sturgeon, six games in the NHL with the uh, Colorado Rockies uh, way back when, and uh, Brian Baltimore, two games for the Edmonton Oilers back in the early 80s as well. I, hadn't, I actually hadn't even heard of either of those guys. Do you feel a, a bit of pressure as a pioneer uh, to, to lead the charge here for the UConn? Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely feel pressure up from here, but you know, I think I feel more support from everyone. They just they think it's so cool what's happening to me in there. They're all on board with it, and I just love to represent this place. And you know, I want to be a pioneer. I want to, you know, like make this a hockey town. Like, there's so many kids up here that love hockey, but it's just too hard to, and too expensive to move away. And it's it's a tough choice. But yeah, I definitely feel like like a pioneer sort of up here. And you know, I love to represent this place. I'm happy to call this place my home. Awesome. Well, uh, tell tell us about um, you know playing minor hockey in Whitehorse, and then obviously before you get to the WHL, you you moved to BC for a couple of years and. It, that wasn't an easy decision for you. As you mentioned, it's it's an expensive sport, and, and moving that far away from home at that young age must be a, a bit frightening, too. Yeah, for sure. I was 14 years old when I moved away, so that was definitely tough on me and my family. Uh, you know, there's times I missed home, but I never really got homesick or anything and needed to be home. But um, it, we knew that's what we, I needed to do to move away and, you know, get out there for my WHL draft year. Um, and that was the biggest thing. And and then growing up here in Whitehorse, uh, we only had one rep team. So if say you're on like the Pee Wee rep team, you'd play in the Bantam House League against the older House League players. And then 
once you got to Bantam, you'd end up playing in the rec league against grown men. So mm. it definitely wasn't ideal, and we knew that I needed to get out and move away. When did it, when did it kind of click to you that um, it, you might have a future as a hockey player? Like playing in a situation like that in, in minor hockey, uh, I imagine there were some nights that were that were challenging. But you're also playing at times against full grown men, as you said. If you're having any sort of success against the guys who are bigger and older and, and stronger than you. Do you start getting a sense that, man, maybe I can do this? Um, I don't think it was really in Whitehorse when I realized that I needed to get out. It was more so in the tournaments that we'd go out and play every once in a while. And, mm. and like, I'd be out there being like a, one of the top players in the tournament. And then I, then I knew like, okay, like I can compete. I need to get out of here and like play competitively. And, and yeah, so that's when I needed to, that's when I knew that I needed to move out more. Okay. Uh, tell me about the uh, the WHL Bannon draft and what that experience was like for you. I, I talked to a lot of players on this show, and you know some guys get to stay home from school and uh, and they follow it along on their on their phones in class or something like that. Uh, for you, because you weren't uh, living at home, uh, what was the Bannon draft day like for you? Um, kind of just a normal day. I, honestly, I, I went to school, and then I'm not sure if it was during one of our breaks or something, but I just went with a couple other buddies, went computer, so. Pretty standard. Uh, I didn't skip school or anything. Just kind of okay. treated it as a normal day. Did you have any sort of expectation of uh, where you were going to go? I mean, you were eventually taken 19th overall in the in the first round uh, by the Hurricanes. But you know, were you waiting? Were you like, I don't know if I'm going to go in the first round? Did you expect to be top 10? What were your sort of pre uh, preconceived notions about what was going to happen? Yeah, just from talking to lots of the teams before the draft, uh, I did expect to go top 10, and I. Hmm. expected to go higher than Lethbridge Hurricanes. You know, teams said they, they were going to take me and stuff, but, you know, they say that to everyone. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's funny, but, you know, I'm really happy I ended up in Lethbridge. They, they've treated me so well and give me so much op- opportunity to succeed, so I wouldn't want to change where I got drafted at all. Well, when you look at the uh, the banner draft that year now, and it's only been a couple of years, but it, it is hard to imagine the, that you were still around at 19 when Lethbridge was picking at that spot. So, uh, yeah, I can understand why you expected to maybe go a little earlier. Uh, your first uh, stint in the WHL, uh, you, you got into three games uh, as a 15-year-old. Getting that small taste, did that help you get prepared for your what would be your full rookie season? Yeah, I also played uh, 12 games in the playoffs, too, as a 15-year-old. So right. that definitely helped a lot, too. Uh, um, you know, my coach used me uh, like on the second line sometimes. So it was definitely a little nerve-wracking being a 15-year-old and playing those big minutes with these 20-year-old players uh, in the playoffs is definitely crazy, but, you know, it was a great experience, and I think for sure that, you know, it showed me what I need to improve in the offseason and where I need to get stronger, and I think it definitely helped me going into my rookie year and helped build confidence going into my rookie year. I completely forgot that you'd played that many games in the playoffs, and not just played, but you you had eight points in 12 games in the playoffs uh, as a 15-year-old. <laughs> I mean, that's remarkable. Uh, I think, go back to, like, uh, a Braden Point or something when he was a 15-year-old. We saw him have a a pretty impressive uh, run in the playoffs as well. But you mentioned confidence. That's got to be huge for you as going into your rookie season. Yeah, it definitely helped for sure. Uh, you know, there's there's one goal there. I remember that I uh, was in game seven with about two minutes left and ended up tying it. We ended up winning. So hmm. that definitely, like, you know, stood my confidence a lot going into my next year and just going out there and playing each game in the playoffs. Uh, like as hard as I could, and you know, it definitely helped me a lot for sure. Dylan, for for fans who haven't had a chance to watch you play, and, and uh, luck, fortunately, uh, I do uh, color for the Oil Kings, so I get to see you play a lot. Uh, but for the audience that might not get a chance to watch you play, how would you describe yourself as a player? You know, I describe myself as a as a fast two way player who's 
more of a shoot first guy, but can also make a pass and, and find the open guy. You know, I think I, I have good puck protection and I think, you know, I do use my body to my advantage. Um, and yeah, I think the biggest thing is just built around speed and quickness. Well, there's a lot of guys out of the WHL uh, up for the draft this year. Is, is the draft something that's been on your mind much this season? I know most guys will tell me that they try not to think about it. Other guys say they, they actually look up the rankings and stuff all the time and, and use it as motivation. What about for you, Dylan? Um, yeah, I, you know, it's always in the back of your mind and there is times you think about it. It's not bad to think about it or anything, but you know, you try to, I try to block it out a little bit, especially when I'm on the ice, just block out all the noise and just focus on what I can control. Like those rankings, you, you can't control them and everyone has different opinions. And at the end of the day, they, they don't really need much. So it's all what the NHL team wants. Um, but yeah, I try to, you know, block it out as much as I can. And, you know, it doesn't hurt me when I see the rankings or anything. And obviously I hear about where I'm ranked and stuff, but you know, I don't go out of my way to search it up or anything. Well, and I mentioned uh, it's 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 a good year in the WHL for for the NHL draft. Uh, yourself and, and Peyton Krabs and Kirby Doc and Bowen Weirer. I mean, all of you guys have been kind of linked closely together since you've come into the league, and uh, you're all going to be drafted, uh, I would guess, in the top ten. Does it matter to you? Uh, you know, if you're top three or top five or you know in the top ten, is it important to you, for you to be? taken ahead of those guys or, or does it matter you know you're getting drafted i mean there's no pressure in that regard yeah you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter obviously you want to go as high as you can go and you want the teams to believe in you and take you high but at the end of the day it's, it's the nhl draft and you know i'm going to be so happy no matter where i go and you know there's so much work that's been put into this year and you know that it's only a month away it seems pretty crazy and and you know i'm excited to get there and you almost kind of want it want to get there and just skip to draft day but you know you just got to take it all in this year only happens once and yeah like i said i'm just going to be so excited no matter what team i go to and between now and the draft you have the nhl combine uh, that's kind of coming up here right away um i know some guys kind of get a little bit nervous you've got the physical testing and all the cameras in your face while you're riding the bike and maybe puking in the in the garbage can and all that stuff and then you've got the interview uh, situations and that can be stressful too walking into a, a hotel room with some you know, staring at some Hall of Famers or something like that while they grill you. Uh, how do you feel about it? Are you a, a little bit nervous at all? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm really nervous. Uh, I'm kind of excited just to get there again and see all my friends again and just be a part of it. You know, the combine. It, it's a pretty cool thing getting to meet with all the teams and like all their, you know, like GMs and stuff. It's it's going to be pretty fun. I think. Uh, obviously, there's some tests that I'm not really looking forward to, but. Mm. You know, everyone's got to do them, and you just kind of got to get them out of the way and then, you know, move on to the interviews and the fun stuff. This season has been so long. Does it almost feel like you've been running a marathon and that finish line is right there? And as excited as you are, will there be some relief once that finish line gets here and the draft is done with? Yeah, for sure. Like, there's, like, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's been a lot of, you know, like emotions put into this year for sure. And, and, you know, once it happens, it's going to be kind of like all those emotions and stress just kind of letting out and, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be an exciting thing, and it's gonna kind of feel like a, a little weight lifted uh, off your shoulders. Yeah. It's gonna be a great feeling, and as long as this year has felt, it's also gone by so quick from a hockey standpoint. You know, it seems like just like a month ago I was starting the season off. Like it's, it's crazy that it's already here, and there's no more hockey to be played before it. Dylan, could you watch the Memorial Cup, or what? did you uh, did you choose not to watch it because uh, you you'd prefer to be there instead of? Uh, of uh, watching it on TV, and some guys have told me that they can't watch it uh, if you're not playing in it. What about you? Um, no, I've watched a couple games. Uh, it's still cool to see how the WHL teams match up against the other teams, and 
you know, still rooting for them against the other leagues, but, you know, obviously I definitely wanted to be there this year. And, you know, I, my team thought we had a legit chance of going there, <laughs> um, which was obviously ended short, but you no, know, I, I think I can, I can still watch it and, you know, just enjoy it. Interesting. When you say how the WHL teams match up with the others, of course, it's been very publicized to hear that the, the WHL champion has really struggled at the Memorial cup. The last, what is it? 13 game losing streak now. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Personally, I'd have to say that the WHL playoffs are just, you know, I don't obviously never played in the other leagues and got to experience it, but I'd say that there is like, it's more brutal. I'd say like the travel is, is crazy. Like, and you know, just the, like the, uh, physicalness in the games is just the physicality is just, uh, you know, like really hard. And, you know, there's lots of dirty stuff that goes on and their bodies kind of get beat down. So I think, that definitely plays a part into it and having to go this year all the way across the country right after they won game seven and play like right away mm-hmm. definitely didn't help them either. Uh, lastly, uh, growing up in uh, the Yukon, uh, pretty far away from an NHL team. Did you have uh, a, a favorite NHL team growing up? I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw Jonathan Taves as my role model. So I started training for him in the Chicago Blackhawks and, mm. you know, they were my favorite team growing up. And, you know, now I, like I still, pay attention to them and stuff but i don't really cheer for a certain team because you know i'll start cheering for a team uh june 21st that'll be my new favorite team but that's right right yeah as of right now uh you know i don't really have a favorite team but growing up chicago was always my favorite team excellent dylan listen i really appreciate you making time i know it's a really busy a part of uh the year as you got the combine here right away and you're enjoying a little downtime uh, maybe at this point. So I, I appreciate you making the time for the Pipeline Show. Thanks for this. Good luck at the draft, and uh, we'll talk to you next year when you come through Edmonton. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. A very well-spoken Dylan Cousins, and uh, I love how he, he talked about uh, the the pressure that he's feeling right now as being the pioneer, the guy who's going to put uh, White Horse and the Yukon on the map in terms of uh, developing players. And, uh, I mean, there were a couple guys, I mentioned it at the start of that interview, two guys who have played in the NHL who are from the Yukon, and I think it was a grand total of eight games, two of them for one guy and six for another guy over two years. So, really, there is no history there. Uh, and uh, Dylan Cousins, I think it's fair to say he's going to be the guy uh, who will uh, make a dent in the NHL as uh, the first guy from the Yukon. That's exciting, but... As he said, there's some pressure that goes along with that, and I think he's been handling that really well. I like Dylan Cousins. I like him a lot. He's got size, and he can shoot the puck. Uh, saw that firsthand several times uh, this year. Uh, definitely a top 10 guy in my mind. That concludes the guest portion of uh, this week's episode. Next week on the show, while well, the Memorial Cup will be done, the NHL Combine will be going on. We'll see what happened in Halifax, and then we'll uh, maybe get somebody on who is in Buffalo. I don't know if it'll be a player or maybe a scout, maybe somebody from HockeyProspect.com. Who knows? The Black Book from HockeyProspect.com will be out shortly thereafter, and, uh, of course, we'll have Mark Edwards uh, and maybe uh, another uh, one or two of his guys uh, from his staff uh, on uh, before the NHL draft. Potentially the last show of May. I know May 31st is next Friday, so might uh, have one right around uh, the the last day of May. June is all NHL draft. So uh, if there's a prospect that's draft eligible this year that I haven't had on the show already, and you want to hear from that guy, let me know who that is. Fire me off uh, a tweet at TPS underscore Gee. Uh, Maybe you're going to say, uh, I haven't heard from uh, 
Kirby Doc, and I'll uh, I'll send you the link. <laughs> I'll put it on Twitter. So you say I haven't heard from Kirby Doc. I'll send you the uh, you know I'll reply to your tweet with the link to uh, when Kirby was on the show. And there'll be several players like that, I'm sure. Where you'll be uh, yeah, bet you haven't had John Farinacci on the show. Yes, I have, uh, and I'll give you the link. So feel free to ask me for a player, and if I haven't had him on the show, I'll do my best to get him on. And if I have had the player and you just didn't hear it, I'll provide you the link so that you can. Thanks to the three guests that you heard from, and uh, between now and next week, get out and watch some prospect hockey or follow up, get educated on the draft, so that you and I can talk about it next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, I'm Guy Flaming. See ya! See ya!